Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Today, I've got Brian Johnson back on the show. If you want to live forever, this episode is for you. Brian spends more money on his body every year than LeBron James, and he's now sharing all of his secrets with all of us. We talked in detail about the protocol that he used to set the world record for the most rapid reduction in biological age ever recorded. If you don't know who Brian is, he's an obscenely successful entrepreneur that's had a really successful trajectory to Elon Musk. He built and sold an online payment processor, including Venmo, and then went on to found a company dedicated to creating a machine brain interface. He's a fascinating guy working on what are arguably the most important issues of our time, longevity and the brain. This episode really blew my hair back, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as I did recording it. If you do, please leave a review on the podcast. It's the best way to support us and help us reach more people. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory. The Fountain of Youth is a story as old as humanity. Mm. And typically, it's a group of people on a boat going to a jungle in some sacred temple and some elixir. And that's kind of been really what people believe more generally, a magic pill is going to come that we take and it solves the problems. And what I wondered is, is the ability to slow the rate of aging and then reversing aging that has occurred possible now is just hiding in tens of thousands of scientific publications and a lot of really hard work. And so that's what my team and I have been doing for the past two years is collecting all the research, doing all the protocols and basically using evidence-based medicine Mm. to explore this question. What is possible with today's science? So in just like yes or no format, do you really believe where we're going, that we will actually be able to meaningfully reverse aging. I don't, I'm not saying that we'll all be able to get to 18, but like, is this really a thing now? Yes. I love that you were thoughtful about that. I'm going to say something. I don't know if you're going to love this or hate this. So we've spent time together before, but it's been years since I've seen you. And I mean this in a really good way, but you look like a Lord of the Rings elf. (laughs) And like, dude, there's something about the clarity in your skin, the vibrancy in your eyes. I don't know. So I'm really, really interested in slowing down aging, reversing aging. I come at it the same way that you do. If when I lay my head down, I think I want to wake up tomorrow then why would I not want this ride to end? We can get into some of the complexities of of the question of ought we do that later, but I really do want to get deep into the protocol. So as I said to you when you first arrived, seeing you on camera does not do justice to what it's like to see you in person um, in terms of just the externally visible markers of health really do like it does something to my brain to be like, oh, this person looks healthy. 
So the protocol, I've, I've watched a lot of your videos on this. You've gone into tremendous depth about the blueprint, which I assume is the blueprint on how to live in a way that slows down aging and, and possibly at some point will, will reverse it. Uh, but what is the protocol? It is very complex. So I'd love to, before we get into the minutia, what's the organizing principle to the blueprint? That if you can measure every organ of the body and let the organ speak about what it wants to be in an ideal, ideal state, reference gold standard scientific evidence, and then create a protocol, and then have perfect adherence, you create a system where the body can maintain itself in an optimal state. Now, this is in contrast to typically we approach things in life where we think our brain is the primary tool which solves all problems before us. Mm. Well, my brain, as most brains do, is a cause of a lot of self-destructive behavior. We are prone to eat too much food or of the wrong kind of food or drink or other substances or spend too much time consuming content, not uh, prioritizing sleep. And so the solution for me was just to take my mind, it was very counter counterintuitive, remove my mind as a problem-solving tool, empower my body by measurement through my entire body, and then looking at the evidence. And so letting my body solve its own problems of how to be in the ideal state is the protocol. And so I just simply follow the data. And so we look at all the things you would imagine, like blood, stool, urine, saliva, MRI, ultrasound, fitness tests, DNA methylation, microbiome, everything we can measure, we measure. And we take all that data, we look at the evidence, and we just do this again and again. And so my responsibility in this is to ensure perfect adherence to the protocol, and we can see how these things work in an iterative basis. I heard you say that sleep and diet are probably the two most important things. Is that a true assessment given all the data you've looked at now? It's difficult to make too strong of statements about power laws in the entirety because most people reasonably look at this and they see that it's not doable for the average person. Yeah, and watching your protocol, I will say that like <laughs> I've got the resources to pull it off. I've even got the discipline, but I was like, this is, this is a lot. It's a, it's a lot. lot. It's a lot. So especially the part about needles in the face. That's where I was like, oh, God. Uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. But so, okay, it's hard to break down the power but law. Your point is correct. If you're going to get just a few things right, sleep, I'd say stop self-destructive behavior and get good sleep. Like you don't even have to eat vegetables, berries, and nuts. Like that mm. would be an advanced thing. Just stop doing things that hurt you because when you do things that cause self-destructive behavior, it's so hard. That, that ruins your sleep, which then ruins your willpower to do, be able to do good things. Mm. It's just a vicious cycle. So sleep well, stop bad behaviors, and it gives you, gets you in a neutral position to feel like you can start doing some positive things in your life and gain some momentum. Mm. It's ironically, it's a lot of people... We all know this. Uh, if we go to the gym and work out, we feel good about ourselves. And later in the day, we want to reward ourselves. And sometimes we reward ourselves in a way yeah. that offsets what happened in the beginning of the, of the good thing. So really, the root of it is trying to get at this self-destructive tendencies we have. Okay, so I'll make a hypothesis about what the self-destructive behaviors are and why we do them and tell me where I go wrong. So... I look at everything through the lens of biology. So you're having a biological experience. I want that on my tombstone. Like I really want people, if I die and you don't solve this problem fast enough, <laughs> uh, 
I really want people to understand that and to look at life through that lens so they figure out, okay, the what you're calling self-destructive behavior, there was a biological root to that. So if I were to sum up quickly, the biggest problem people make is that they, I'll round it to, they eat a lot of sugar and processed foods. And if they, that's like the biggest sin that mm. everybody does in terms of self-harm. And to undo that, they have to understand that the thing that's driving them to do that is that your brain was created over millions of years of evolution where food was really hard to come by. And if you came by something that was calorically dense, that you were going to go after it as hard as you could, remove the breaks as much as possible, overeat, overconsume. And that food is, it's not a calorie is a calorie. Food is signaling molecules or food are signaling molecules, whichever. And so they're going to tell your body to do certain things. And the things that you're prone to overeating because they were so rare are typically things that make you put on fat and that are going to spike your glucose, which then causes a huge dump of insulin, which then has a whole host of problems. So it's like whenever, like if I had, you have 30 seconds, Tom, you have to like tell your younger self mm. or you have to mm. impact somebody. I'd be like, stop eating sugar, get a lot of sleep um, and believe that you can get better, which we'll set that aside for now. But it's like, are we close? Like if we really had to dumb this down or is it, no, no, no. Like there's just something else entirely that is the root of self-harm. I like your articulation. It seems like you identified a version of yourself or someone else that you identify with. I did the same thing with me where I said, I'm a whole bunch of different kinds of Brian's. Mm. I'm 6 a.m. Brian when I wake up, and I'm excited about the day. I'm 7 p.m. Brian when I'm stressed out, I'm out of energy, and I just want to relax and do nothing and maybe have some food I shouldn't be eating. There are different versions of ourselves. And in these different versions, we behave different ways. Yeah. So in my case, it was 7 p.m. Brian that was the disaster. He would overeat, eat the wrong kind of stuff, then I wouldn't be able to sleep, and I felt awful the next day. Mm. And so I... It helped for me to think about this. Um, we think of ourselves as the most intelligent species on this planet, yet we commit, we, we have behaviors that accelerate disease and aging and misery and cloud our minds and they dampen our conscious experience. Mm. Yet, even though we do these things, we've normalized it to make it okay, where we celebrate it, we encourage it. If it's a social norm that's challenged, we try to ostracize a person or make them feel like they're out of step. And if we can muster up the greatest sobriety possible about this, it's a little insane we commit self-destructive behavior. I agree. So do you feel, I feel like the battle line is very clear. It's you versus your evolutionary impulses. Is that how you read it or is there something else going on? I think it's, you're certainly correct that there's probably a lot that has to do with where we've been as a species, a lot of social norms where it's okay to do the things you were talking about, eat a tremendous amount of sugar or to drink excessively or to stay up and not prioritize sleep or mm. any number of things. It's, what do you think about weed? That's like the most socially acceptable thing in, like in the world right now. It's crazy. You want to talk about celebrating self-destructive behavior. People talk about it like it's the coolest shit ever. And I won't say that I haven't done it, but... I will say that the times I have done it, I wasn't like, I'm so fucking cool. I was like, this is a trade-off and I am diminishing future potential mm. for today pleasure. So 
when you think about, it's interesting, there's, there's a nested idea inside your mind, I've watched enough of your content that I think I have a read on it. Um, but before we get to the very complex, because people may not know for everybody watching right now that you also own a company called Kernel, which is trying to, I'm gonna use words that you haven't used, but effectively read and write in the language of neurology. I'm not sure how you would phrase that, but to be able to see how we think so that we can also write in the brain. God, I'm really reaching now. But that feels like directionally where you're headed. It's well said. Nice, okay, so this is really interesting. Okay, so going back, one, one gigantic idea at a time here. So sticking with the blueprint, the protocol for change, we have these evolutionary impulses. They lead us to do really dumb things. That has created a society where we now celebrate behavior that is very fraught in terms of being self-destructive, certainly from an aging perspective, and also probably from just a mental health, how do you feel about yourself perspective. So taking the things you've already talked about, um, okay, so there's multiple Brian's, there's multiple all of us. Jordan Peterson was the first person I heard talk about this, about mm. you have entire personalities around when you're hungry, when yes. you're tired, when you're intoxicated, if you have addictive personality, like it becomes a, a whole set of behaviors. And I think that's really interesting. So you have all these Brian's. You had one Brian, 7 p.m. Brian, that was causing a lot of self-harm for all the other Brian's. You are hyper-logical. So despite having these human foibles, you were able to override that with some logic and go in and say, I'm gonna remove that from the equation and I'm gonna use data. And I'm going, how many organs are in the body, by the way? 78. Okay. It depends on how you classify them, but. That's but already fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so you're the only person I've ever heard talk about, I'm gonna read data from all 78 organs. I didn't think we had that many, so I was already a little startled. Uh, but I'm going to read the data from these 78 organs and that's gonna tell me what behavior I, God, would you say can and can't do? Ought and ought not to do? Like what word do you use there? It's a beautiful question and it's at the heart of all of this. So I love how you framed out the collection of ideas. If we put this in even a, a broader basket, what I really think is interesting for all of us to ponder is we zoom out on planet Earth and we say, what is really going on? Mm. Let's just remove all the noise we can. Let's quiet the room as much as possible. What is really happening? And it could be the rise of computational intelligence. We call it AI. It's this new form of information and knowledge and creativity and all the things, and we're giving birth to it. So there's this question, as this new form of intelligence emerges in the world, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for all things? And in contemplating this, it might be wise for us to ask, what should we aspire to as a species? How do we get ourselves pointed in the right direction? And so Blueprint is not, it may seem about health and wellness and diet and food, it's really not. It's my best guess at the ideal way for all of us to prepare ourselves to walk into this future. Mm. And that starts with, I guess what I call goal alignment. So if I think about myself as a 78 organ system, before it was balkanized and at war with itself. So I committed these self-destructive behaviors. When my mind wanted a pizza party and drinks, 
it, my kidney wasn't asking for that, and my, you know, my liver wasn't, and all my, my DNA methylation wasn't. And so there was a, a war within me going on, this misalignment. And I had to figure out how could I achieve world peace inside of me. Mm. And that so was when you let these organs speak and everyone can say, I want this in an ideal state, and then you help the reconciliation process. This mirrors what we're doing with planet Earth. We treat the Earth as we treat our bodies. It's the same relationship. And if we want to think about how could we potentially cooperate on a global scale, how could we potentially imagine ourselves walking into this future with computational intelligence? It starts with our ability to align ourselves in these interesting ways. And for me, it was removing my mind, which was the cause of self-destructive behavior, mm. enabling a system to take care of me. This is, the, this is the fundamental question I wanted to propose. If I could build a system that could better care for me than I'm able, would I say yes to it? And I did. Now, there's all kinds of ways you can slice that up because a lot of people will say, well, does that mean you can no longer have your pasta with friends? Or does that mean you can no longer? And there's a very long list of things that they say, I'm familiar with this. I perceive these things to cause me joy. If I can't have these things, I don't know why I would exist. Mm. So it's just a knee-jerk reaction. It's, it's temporary and people work their way around it. But this is really the fundamental question we're all thinking about. And to me, it's worth our attention. Uh, it, it definitely, it, we are in a situation where we would benefit by ruminating that we are in a special moment of time. And we probably don't want to be caught uh, being behind. Okay, so caught being behind would look something like we're trying to create artificial intelligence and we really as we're recording this ai is at the elbow of the exponential curve and people are freaking out in good and bad ways um because of how rapidly it's happening now and this is i uh, this is certainly the first time where i've really been consciously paying attention to something where i see the elbow happen mm -hmm. and it is there's, it breaks the prediction machine that is the brain, yes. and that's unnerving. Yes. Now, I'm optimistic about it, but you're onto something here which is really fascinating, which, and I've heard you say this before. Um, people talk about, for AI to work, we have to get goal alignment between humans and AI, mm -hmm. so that AI doesn't run into the paperclip problem where it's like, oh, sorry, bro, but your atoms would be way better as paperclips, and so I'm just gonna you know, destroy you to get at those atoms so I can yeah. make more paperclips. And you said, goal alignment with AI, we don't even have goal alignment with ourselves. That's right. Okay. Let, let alone between each other. Right. Yeah. Which, if you've been in a marriage, you know immediately, like, there's a lot of goal alignment that goes along there that you're going to have to constantly be mm -hmm. working on, mm -hmm. which is utterly fascinating. Okay. So, you have made, um, ooh, I'm going to say it in a provocative way, take it apart as you see fit. You have made a deity of data. And I think inside of all of us, there is a God-shaped hole. It has not played out as religion in my life, not since I was a teenager. I don't know. I know that you used, you were brought up deeply religious. Whether I don't know if that echoed as an adult or not, but does that sound right or am I missing something? I would use an example. A few years ago, I was in the Middle East with a, a country leader and he offered up his country's 2030 plans. And this was in 2017, I believe. And I said, that's fa fascinating that you would be planning 13 years in advance. At the time, I was deeply involved in my venture investing in 
synthetic biology, nanotech, computational therapeutics. So I knew from the trenches what was going on in those worlds, mm. uh, from machine learning and AI through the biology. And, and I said, how do you think you can pro- uh, possibly plan that far in advance? And he said, like, how would you think about it? Just as a playful gesture. And I said, okay, let's imagine, let's play a game. We have two robot, robots. And the goal is to get the robot to the furthest sand dune on the horizon. We can barely see it. We can do one of two things. One is we can take a topographical map of the sand dunes, program the map into the robot and say, go robot to that sand dune. Now we know what's going to happen. In a few minutes, it's going to be stuck in the sand because the sands are going to shift. The map is going to change. The other thing we do is we say, okay, robot, we're going to give you the tools to navigate the sand no matter what happens. Mm. So as the landscape changes, as we know it will, it navigates its way to these endpoints. And so all you have to do is point in a general direction. And that's really what this entire thing is with Blueprint, is I've basically just said, my body is a system with tools to navigate terrain as it moves along. So measurement, science, protocol. Now the science is going to get better, the measurement's going to get better, and it just improves again and again and again. But my body is not subject to the same problems of self-destructive behavior, where it can't move forward. I've tried to put myself, my body, in a position where it can have compounded gains. So as technology improves, my body improves at the same rate of the technology. And in this case, it's slowing my rate of aging and reversing the aging that's happened. Now, there may be chances where we start talking about enhancement, where we build technologies in society. But if we start thinking about ourselves that we really care to go together to this distant point on the horizon, we want systems that allow us to move through changing terrain. Mm. What we don't want are these maps that assume certain things. And so this is the the zeroth principle thinking. So when you say a god of data, I would say, uh, to me, this is a philosophy of zeroism. You're going to have to tell people what that means. So the idea is... Talent hits the target that no one else can. Genius hits the target no one can see. Talent is first principles thinking. So you survey the world, you identify everything you can uh, know in a given time frame, and you just you know those basic things and you make decisions. Zeroth principle thinking, uh, you can't even see the target. And so this is like Einstein's special theory of relativity, where he gave birth to something that already existed, mm-hmm but just changes everything. Or when AlphaGo played Lisa et al. in AlphaGo, it played moves in the game of Go that could have been played by humans, but no human did. And so humans saw these moves, it broke their brains, and they said it's as if an intelligence from another dimension were playing the game of Go. So first principle uh, thinking is genius. It's a talent that no one else can see. And so the, the... The hypothesis is, with the emergence of computational intelligence, it introduces zeroth principle breakthroughs at a rate faster than humans have. It changes the landscape more and faster than we have been. So we're going to enter into a zeroth principle world where the landscape is going to change faster and faster Mm. in ways we don't anticipate. It's going to surprise us continually in the same way Lisa Dahl was stunned with AlphaGo's play. We're going to feel the same way. And so the, the, the idea for this is let's try to zoom out on planet Earth, look at the situation we're in of what's really going on. Let's adopt systems of evolving ourselves and improving ourselves 
So we can roll with all these changes, no matter how the, the terrain shifts, and we can move into this future of zeroth principle. We don't know what it's going to be. We can't imagine it. It's beyond our own imagination. It's, it's a, mm. And so it's really uh, an, a, an effort to say we can recognize the special moment we're in. We can create systems where everyone wins. And we can shed the characteristics of ourselves that no longer service, uh, like self-destructive behaviors. Mm. That's really what I'm trying to do in the entirety. So it, it's about... The future of human existence, ironically or humorously, begins by eating broccoli it, and by letting your organs run the system versus your mind. Okay, I, I think there's more to talk about with the how you're getting... I think you're getting compliance in yourself because you believe so much in the data's ability to lead you to maybe it's zero principle thinking where we're able to completely come up with something that we otherwise would not have. But before we get lost in that far more philosophical conversation, I'll bring us back to the actual protocol itself. So you've brought uh, a bunch of food. This is stuff I assume you eat on a daily basis. I've heard you say you basically eat the same thing every day. So pull me down into what the data is showing. So we have 78 organs. They're all saying they want something. Do they want the same thing? Like, is there one protocol that matches everything? Or is it like we're doing 78 different things every day, hoping that it comes together somehow? Yeah, this is... Yeah, so my diet every day is uh, roughly 2,000 calories. So it's a 25% calorie reduction of what I would normally consume. So I'm on a caloric restriction diet. So you're hungry all the time? I'm hungry all the time. In fact, let me ask you really fast before yeah. we get into this. Does your life suck? <laughs> I've never been happier or more fulfilled or more energized. I've never, ever been in a better state in my entire life. Even though you're hungry all the time? Yes. Interesting. Okay, so we'll get yeah. into that after you show me what you're going to eat. I okay. wouldn't trade my life for anything right now. Wow. It has never been better. That's incredible. Sleep, diet, okay. Yep. Steering by the data kicked off by our 78 organs. Basically, uh, this is 2,000 calories. Every calorie has to fight for its life to exist because it's such a small budget. Mm. And my body needs to have all the nutrients it needs to be ideal. So the, so the objective was, how do you create a perfect diet? And so for breakfast, I eat this dish uh, called super veggie, which is black lentils, broccoli, cauliflower, mushrooms, garlic. And, and you named it super veggies. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. So I eat 70 pounds of vegetables a month. Oh, my God. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, an hour later, two hours later, I eat nutty pudding. So you don't eat it all at once? No, I used to do uh, one meal a day. My body fat went down to 3%. Whoa. A bit too low. How low were your calories? Same, 2,000. Just having it all in, in a single window it had the effect of dropping my Dude, body 3%, fat. 3%, that's competition. Yeah. That's like bodybuilding up on stage. Let's go. I'm a step away from dying. <laughs> wow, I mean, 3%. That's insane, man. I mean, so, I'm 5.1 now. So it's, it, I thought you were trying to bump it up. Uh, yeah, so three is too low. Sorry, I had heard is... in, in an interview, somebody put the words in your mouth, so I have to be more careful with that, that you were trying to go up to like six and a half or seven percent. I mean, I've been there. I'm at five right now, so it kind of hovers in wow. the five to six range. Okay, and that's comfortable. You're hungry, but it's comfortable. Yeah, it's five uh, percent is enough subcutaneous fat because your heart needs fat. You need mm. fat in your body, and so we're comfortable with five-ish percent. 
Okay, so, so then, one meal a day, it was two, you're yeah. getting too lean, which is already interesting from a fat loss perspective. Intermittent fasting is doing its job. So how much do you spread this out? Sorry. Six hours. Total window. Total window of time is six hours. Got it. Starting first meal is what time? Five, six a.m. A.m. Whoa. So you get up and eat or do you get up crazy early? I get up and I drink this, this guy here. So like I'm giant. wiping the sleep out of my eyes yes. and I... Interesting. Yeah. So I have a, an unwritten rule that I don't eat. So I wake up usually 4 to 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. I don't eat until roughly 9 a.m. And I eat all of my food in a pretty narrow window, mm-hmm. five to six hours. Um, two meals only. And, but I've always thought that I needed to wake up, work out fasted, all of that, but not true. Because you're way leaner than I am. Okay, so on these questions, my experience has been, I trained as a pilot. I got my license as a pilot in multiple airplanes. Even though I'm a competent pilot, I'm never as good as a professional pilot. Mm. They do it every day. They think about it day in, day out. Uh, They just have higher levels of skill than when I jump in and jump out. The same is true with Blueprint. Uh, This team I have, uh, led by Dr. Oliver Zolman. This is all they do. They're consumed by it, night and day. This, when they don't have anything to think about, they're thinking about this. Yeah. And even among the most elite experts in health and wellness, they disagree with each other. You know this. Like, yeah. There is absolutely no agreement <laughs> on just about anything. And so the, it's important uh, as a system that a team run in a way that has some way to try to tease out signal from noise and then do something and see if it works. We don't know all the answers, and that's why we're testing these things. We're, this is why I'm doing all this, mm. is we're trying to punch through these open-ended questions and debates that never, ever resolve. It's never-ending debate. And so in these cases of, of your question of, is it optimal to eat before you exercise or after you exercise, I don't know the specifics, but I'm sure you could open it up and it would be an endless debate among experts on the ideal status of doing things. Yeah. And so we, we just don't get involved in those arguments because uh, there's, limiting, there's limited returns in doing that. And so we've set up a system of evidence, of analysis, of protocol, of measurement. That meant you had to agree on what are the optimal state for the 78 organs that we're measuring. You had to have an ideal in mind to be able to steer towards it. So at some point, either you're saying that um, we, we did get a group of people to agree on these things, or this is where our hypothesis lies. And for um, people that aren't super familiar with the scientific method. So hypothesis, basically a best guess. Uh, A theory is something that has proven to work, even though it may not be ground level truth yet. So is this your hypothesis? Is this a working theory? Like Mm -hmm. where, where are we at? How did you get consensus there? I think the data speaks for itself. So you look at the highlights of what we've done for two years. So one, my, my speed of aging using an epigenetic DNA methylation clock. Okay. So looking at what exactly, so anybody that's followed me for a while, they've heard methylation talk before, so you can get kind of nerdy. And as long as I can track it, we're in good shape. So if we're looking at these biological expression patterns in our body that have some relationship to aging, uh, 
these aging clocks are not yet gold standard. Mm-hmm. They're they're silver standard. Is so, there a gold standard, or we're just working towards not on not, not on not like phenotypic markers? Okay. So on methylation, it's still 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 sil- silver standard. But if you look at the entirety of my data, so you say uh, one is uh, last year I set a world record in reducing my epigenetic age five point one years in seven months using Jesus. using six clocks, not one, six. I didn't cherry pick a clock. Mm. So let's just say. Okay, epigenetic clocks are up, and, are up and coming. Fine, we'll take that with a grain of salt. Second, my speed of aging. So the pace in which my body ages is 0.76. What do you look at for that? DNA methylation. Okay. And this is based upon a, a uh, multi-decade longitudinal study based out of New Zealand. Okay. Uh, it's called the Newton. I'm going to tell people what DNA methylation actually is. I'll probably get it a little wrong and correct me where I do. So DNA methylation, you have these little things, like sirtuins, is that what's running around on the DNA? I can never remember. But there are little things that run around the DNA, they're probably a protein, and they are marking the DNA saying, this is a liver cell, this is a brain cell, this is an eye cell, and thusly, you should only read these sections. So read here, stop reading here. And Every time a cell gets damaged, it has to go in and like remark it and say, okay, this is the part to read and not read. And aging is effectively the de-differentiation of cells. Your eye cell begins to forget that it's just an eye. Your liver cell begins to forget that it's just a liver, so on and so forth. And so it stops doing its things well because the things reading the DNA are basically being told to read the wrong parts of the DNA. And so it starts to basically get confused and that is aging. Yeah. And I'd say, yes, and... If a detective went in your body and is looking at a crime scene, they might find some details in how your body is expressing itself in these DNA methylation patterns. Interesting. So there's something being revealed in the patterns that you methylate See, your... Exactly. You look at these patterns and it's just like, it's like a, a biological age versus chronological age. So, so there's a type of malfunction in the methylation that we can see. There's, yeah, there's patterns. That, that manifests themselves in the body. So we know, just at a basic concept, we know roughly what, uh, we know how a 15-year-old's heart should look like mm. with the characteristics of its functionality and also its anatomical. We know what an 80-year-old person's heart, how it functions and what it looks like. They're very different hearts. You're not going to confuse a 15-year-old and an 80-year-old's heart. Mm. If you're looking at it at MRI or even looking at it in tissue. Right. And so there's, you can biologically age. And so DNA methylation is to say, we can identify patterns that reveal. And so th- this is what they're sorting in the science. It's fine. But what I may be trying to get at in a quick summary is I have over 50 perfect uh, biological markers uh, and their optical clinical outcome range. So that's like my cholesterol and you know, the triglycerides, like all the usual things people talk about. Mm. I have 100 biomarkers that are less than my chronological age. I set a world record for reversing my, chrono- my epigenetic age. My speed of aging, uh, which is currently 0.76, I'm number one out of 1,750 people that have been measuring their speed of aging over mm. several years uh, for total reduction of age. And so, so for every calendar year, you age 0.76 of a calendar exactly. year. Exactly. So the, like, jokingly, I say I get October, November, December for free. <laughs> you know? But like, let's just say, uh, let's discount all my data and say, okay, we think that the science is like 70% correct in that area. 
it's still a pretty compelling data set mm. to suggest that what I'm doing may be interesting and it may be in the right direction. So it's not, this is not to state that we've figured everything out, that everything's perfect, that we know all things. It's meant just to put forward all the data we have and say, pretty interesting. If you build this system, measurement, evidence, protocol, then look what it's doing. And that's what really we're trying to do. And so it's step by step. And of course, everyone's going to look at this and they'll uh, nip at it from one direction or another. Wonderful. Like mm -hmm. that's the process, that's science, that's how we're going to improve. But by open sourcing this and sharing it with everybody, others can implement it, they can improve it, they can generate their own data. So it's really meant to try to punch through. The game we're playing is not, this is not the game. The game we're playing is the future of the human race. That's so interesting. You're, you're taking us back to the philosophical side. We're going to get first to the broccoli yeah. <laughs> and the mushrooms and all that stuff. But it really is interesting. It was one of the notes that I took when I was doing the research is that you're really coming at this from, from a, I'll boil it down to ought versus can. Mm. And in my language, and I don't know that everybody would agree with this, but in my language, ought is a moral statement. We ought to be doing things in this way. And you introduced me to an interesting idea when we first met. And you were talking about, you talked about data and the data that all of us kick off from behavioral to biological in a way that I'd never contemplated before. And it seemed too big of a problem to solve at that time. Mm -hmm. But I haven't stopped thinking about mm -hmm. that. And as somebody, so we're building in the metaverse and now I think a lot about, whoa, I'm going to be influencing the way that people think about life. Yeah. Um, that if Jordan Peterson is right and it brings out like psychopathy and that the way the algorithms work, they tend to like reward people with dark triad tendencies. So I'm like, wow, we really have to be thoughtful about this. So bringing that back to what you're talking about now, it's like, okay, if we're building AI and you've talked about the computational and distribution cost of intelligence is going to zero. So basically now we all have a genius in our pocket that can take us from it doesn't exist to existing mm -hmm. with these huge breakthrough insights. Okay, well now all of a sudden we really have to get alignment and all of that alignment starts with the food that's sitting on this table here, right. which is so, that rings yeah. so true yeah. to me yeah. in terms of what I know about the, like just getting people to understand. I don't want to talk about diet. I don't want to talk about yeah. exercise, but all these cool things that I do want to talk to yeah. you about, I can't get you there yeah. until we talk about this. Yes. With that, we have broccoli, we have <laughs> uh, cauliflower, which I hate, so you're going to have to make me a believer, and yeah. mushrooms, which I, I am so freaked out by mushrooms but I learned a lesson. So I had real food trauma as a kid. Mm. And it's, it's a fascinating thing. My mother and I see my childhood very differently. So I had a lot of food trauma, uh, eating rice aroni and mm. like really basic, horrible things as a kid over and over and over. Just that was how I grew up. And when I got older, I, my whole thing was no one will ever get me to eat something I don't want to eat again, ever, ever, ever. Mm. I end up marrying a Greek girl. Her family's constantly offering me all this weird food. I do not want to eat it. And, but I didn't want to offend my father-in-law. And then we finally got to the point. He would always offer me two things. There, there's this weird cheese that they have called halloumi cheese. They're Cypriot. Now, halloumi cheese, if you grew up like I grew up with American cheese, it melts. Cheddar cheese melts. Swiss cheese melts. Those are the only cheeses I was ever introduced to. Halloumi doesn't melt. You can put it on open flame 
and it mm. doesn't melt. It'll burn, mm. but it doesn't melt. And so I was like, I'm never going to eat something that a cheese that doesn't melt. That's too weird. And so anyway, one day he's always offering me two things so I can always take the other thing and not try this freakish cheese. And one day, still not wanting to offend my father-in-law, he only offers me halloumi. And I'm like, oh, this is a test. So I'm like, damn it, I have to eat this cheese. Otherwise, I'm going to offend my father-in-law. And I eat it and it was like fireworks went off in my mouth. It was so delicious. And I was like, I have missed out. I think it had been, I had known him for four years. And I was like, I had missed out on four years of eating this incredible cheese because I was scared. So I was like, if somebody offers me food sincerely, they're not trying to mess with me. If they're offering me food sincerely, I will try it every time. I can only imagine you are offering me this sincerely, so I'm gonna give it a shot. <laughs> All right, so mushrooms, broccoli, quinoa. What was the other thing in there? Lentils. Black lentils. Lentils. All right, where do we start? Well, I guess it is a question, do you prefer to eat your sweets before savory or savory before sweet? Oh, savory before sweet, okay, 100%. So I would, I would Probably dip into the super veggie with okay. some broccoli. All right, let's see what we got here. Is there a particular like broccoli, mushroom, cauliflower, all in one bite kind of thing? You know, is this it, cooked? This yeah, is softer than I yeah, thought it, it was. Yeah, gonna it's be. all steamed. So for okay. FODMAP, uh, to avoid getting indigestion, you know, making it comfortable for your microbiome, everything's steamed. Nice. It's important to take seven to eight minutes. And then... Oh, God, the mushroom. I'm so freaked yeah, out. Yeah, mataki. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's do it. All right. Other than the texture of mushrooms, which I'm super sketched out by, tastes great. Great. What are you putting on it? Um, is it literally just <clears throat> steam and the natural thing, or is there... I sauces. I can and... add you know, no sauces. Uh, sometimes I'll sprinkle with new salt, which is potassium chloride. So uh, it's a replacement for sodium. But no, it just uh, I puree mine. So it's like a veggie Why? hummus. Why puree it? Uh, because the volume I eat, it's uh, almost uh, uh, 900 milli- uh, mLs of volume. It's it's very large, mm. and so I have a lot going on in life. And to eat that much vegetables every day, purees. What do you chew? Uh, masticate uh, all these other uh, my third meal of the day uh, nutty pudding and the berries and so we're about pudding again but the berries are whole yep and then the third meal is whole yeah so the third meal is is vegetables um, nuts berries so sweet potato or that was good again the the mushroom I'm a little sketched out by why why broccoli why cauliflower this diet is not uh, the only way to win Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I'm vegan by choice, not mm. by necessity. So this is not to say that someone couldn't achieve similar or better results than mine doing other things. Interesting. Totally fine. Uh, we need to talk about mTOR. So uh, we're back to ought now. So you're eating this way because you believe we all ought to? It, uh, I'm eating this because of uh, the concept of what Alfred North White had said. Civilization advances by the number of important operations it can automate. Mm without the person thinking about it. And if I contemplate what are the most majestic games my conscious mind could play? That's a question and a half. And let's just for a moment try to create some separation with everything we hold near and dear right now. And let's just open ourselves up and say, what are the most majestic things we could experience? There's, of course, a, a little band of what we could see and think about and imagine be, and be creative. And then there's this gigantic space of unknown, of surprise. And when I think about that as the potential future, I'm motivated to spend my time and energies doing that. And so eating this food is among the most delightful experiences of my entire day. I love every second of it. I also appreciate it that it is now solved in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't spend 40% of my day thinking about what I'm going to eat or trying to order what I'm going to eat or trying to. It's all just built into a system so I can have my mind pointed in somewhere else. So the goal here is not that everyone in society creates their own version of blueprint. The idea here is that society creates blueprint as the norm. It is unfair to the individual that they're set out in society and they have to navigate on a daily basis McDonald's and Snickers and TikTok and everything else. It is unfair. And this is, goes back to your point on data. If you're, when you're, you are broadcasting data, the capitalistic system is taking this and then using it against you so you commit greater self-destructive behaviors. And then we celebrate it and then we call people weird when they don't participate in it. Mm -hmm. The whole system is rigged against us. Meanwhile, we worship our technology. We are willing to sacrifice ourselves for technology. We're martyrs for technological progress. Yet we have almost... We have a minuscule amount of attention focused on improving ourselves. And it should be the exact opposite. The new Apple keynote 
should be the new blueprint. We should be able to showcase human advancement in ways that are stunning and exciting that gets everyone on this movement of how do we prove ourselves individually and collectively. And if we look at ourselves in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we might look back and say, that was obvious. Like, why did we sacrifice ourselves for this technological advancement? Why did we just grind ourselves, drive ourselves into the ground? Why do we encourage each other to do all these self-destructive things? Why do we allow it to happen in ourselves? Mm. We might consider ourselves to be insane. And just a snap of sobriety, we'd say, of course, like, why wouldn't we move forward in this fashion? And that's what this is meant to, to do is we naturally gravitate towards, gravitate towards things that improve our lives. And if we could have systems that help us do that, you know, could we say yes to it in a way that it doesn't threaten our being, it doesn't threaten our media making, it doesn't threaten our, our identities? We say, cool, because we really want to play bigger games than existence. Mm. All right, that's super interesting. We will certainly continue uh, balancing this razor's edge of practicality <laughs> and, and philosophy, which I actually really do find interesting. I want to understand, so... You've answered the question why you eat veggies over meat. So I get that. I, and I think it'll be important for us to go into the end of one um, idea. But right now I want to talk about you have, you said every calorie has to fight for its survival in terms of the right to be consumed by you. I'm very curious. I'm going to ask one question before we, we go on with this, which is, I think of nutrition as so N of one, if for no other reason than your microbiome, but nutrition is so N of one that we'll never get to 100% one blueprint for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I also think throwing up your hands and saying, well, it's hopeless because it's all N of one is also a mistake. So I'm going to guess that 85% of the blueprint will be the same for everybody. And then there's going to be 15% new ones. But I'm going to set aside the 15% new ones. But my question is, do you agree? Like, is it 80%? Is it 4% is going to be universal? Like, how much of this is going to be blueprint for everybody? And how much is going to be individualized? Those, that data will naturally emerge over time. Do you have a gut instinct, though? I wouldn't dare to guess. Really? Interesting. I'm so, I think that it... I think everybody ought to be willing to say, this is how I think about the problem. Uh, so I always find myself spouting off about things. I'm, I know that I will <laughs> definitely change my mind. Like I, I will 100% follow the data, but I need organizing principles. Okay, anyway, so you're organizing principle, you're not sure. So going back to this bowl here, um, your 78 organs are competing. Every calorie has to like justify its existence. But this bull has raised its hand in the data mm -hmm. and said, for all of the 78, I'm one of the best things that you could do. You've already been clear. It, maybe there's a meat protocol or whatever that will do the same thing, or maybe it's even better. But the data has said, and your elf-like appearance backs <laughs> it up, uh, that this is effective. But I don't yet understand why. So what, what is hiding, not hiding, mm -hmm. what is the, the matrices of these items mm -hmm. that the 78 organs are like, yes, please? Yeah. I mean, for example, if, you, uh, if my 17-year-old and I both do our blood panels, we're looking at liver enzymes and we're looking at all of our basic blood panel, we're nearly indistinguishable. It would be almost, it's almost impossible to tell the difference between his and mine. Mm. 
And that's what this food has produced. But why isn't this bok choy in collard greens? It could, you know, it could be. It's just that the... Why isn't this tomatoes? I'm now picking nightshades on purpose. Why isn't this tomatoes and eggplant and peppers? As a team, uh, we look at the evidence. We try to find gold standard evidence. So Mm -hmm. um, with a random controlled trial, and we say, you know, blank has shown to do blank in this organ or this biological process. And that's what the result is here. So broccoli, cauliflower, mushrooms, and lentils get the blood panels that we want. And you've tried, how many things have you tried? A lot, yeah. They have for me, they have for a lot of people around me. And so again, it's, it's um, your statement is, is, you know, you're directionally correct that for some percent of people, this will work. Mm. For another percent, it won't work. And for how much of a difference, we don't know. And so it, the blueprint is less about the exact things and more about the system of measurement, evidence, protocol. And I assume, because that, that system, so you put out a video. So I know a little bit about this. You put out a video where it's like, here are all the crazy things that we do. It's so overwhelming that mm-hmm. even somebody with like, my identity is I'm one big throbbing uh, discipline molecule. I don't even know how to finish that statement. But like I, I am discipline, like incarnate. Yeah. That, that's how I see myself. And when I watched that video, I was like, yeah, no. Like mm. it's so complex. Mm. Like the machines and you spend more. In fact, th- this will sum it up. In fact, I don't even mind the money. It's the time. You spend more money on your body every year than LeBron James. Okay. Let people at home, let that one sink in. So this protocol is very robust. And the, the gap I'm trying to bridge is we keep talking about the protocol like sort of in the ether without like really grounding it. But because I've seen the whole thing, it's mm-hmm. so complicated. I know we have a bunch of your supplements here and we need to get into that. So I'm, I'm going to say for now, for the sanity of people watching this, we're going to continue going through the foods that, that we have here. And while there is going to be N of one variations, if you're going to get into this, because I've seen the level of complexity, most people should just eat what's in the bowl. Yes. And, and I'm going to take this sort of on blind faith that if I yes. want to replicate the protocol, rather than me go do all the things you're doing, yes. because I'm not willing to, just being completely honest, yes. that I'm just going to eat this. Okay, that, that's guidance for myself on yes. how to run this interview. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, these are the things that the data has kicked off for somebody doing this in a vegan format. Okay, so we've got our super veggies, which you smoothie the shit out of, uh, because you don't want to chew the 70 pounds a month. I don't mind chewing it. I, hummus is, among, is my favorite food. What do you dip in the hummus, though? Vegetables. Okay, so, so we, we save some of our broccoli. So our, the third meal of the day could be a hummus. I'm just saying, generally speaking, hummus is among my favorite foods. Got it. Super veggie is hummus. It's just ground in up. In texture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so a lot of people look at it and the texture triggers these associations in their mm. mind. And a lot of people... In fact, you're right. Mushrooms hidden in a hummus would be far better so for it, my it's, sanity. It's a lot of fun for people to poke with the thing and make funny jokes. It's hummus. And mm. I have hummus for breakfast and it's just chock full of vegetables. And so, yeah, so that's uh, breakfast. I like to in the morning. So then I, I also drizzle olive oil on this and I also put chocolate in it. That's a new, that's a recent addition. Mm. If, into the hummus or separately? Yeah, into the hummus. Interesting. Yeah. Can you taste the chocolate? Yeah, so it's a really weird combination. Let's start eating through yeah. this stuff. Yeah. So 
So you here, we've got the chocolates. These are going to be bitter as hell, right? They are. Yeah. So yeah, because this, this is like straight up. That's right. So there's what what makes this special and what brand is this? We think about everything. Uh, this chocolate's a good example of a five level stack of thinking. So first statement is chocolate's good for you. Second is dark chocolate is good for you. Third is dark chocolate undutched is good for you. Fourth is dark chocolate undutched without heavy metals is good for you. And the fifth is dark chocolate undutched, non-heavy metals with the highest polyphenol count. And so with every one of these things, we want to get to level five on every single thing. And that's what, again, what this is, is it's had to survive a tremendous amount of scrutiny to arrive. So that is pure 100% dark chocolate. Mm. It, we have tested for heavy metals with high polyphenol count. We have several suppliers. What brand is this? We have several suppliers we work Do with. Do you not like to talk about the brands? No, because we're, we're actually going to make our own one. I was going to say, like, literally, I was like, talk to Brian about yeah. getting into business in food because it's, it's very damn. hard. It's very hard to find. Let's make a hummus, Brian. <laughs> exactly. But the, the chocolate, you know, it, it's delightful to eat. And so then you pair 70 pounds of vegetables with 100% dark chocolate and the same thing with the olive oil. So we run the same criteria of the absolute highest quality olive oil, and that's breakfast. It's mm. the most nutritionally dense dish I have ever consumed in my entire life. What are some of the things you've thrown away? Like, uh, we tried asparagus. Yeah, we don't, we don't do asparagus anymore. Have we, are there any ones that were amiss? I mean, at one point, I had too many carrots in my diet. Why? So I also had to dial back the carrots, but I did it because it was spiking the life out of my glucose, which I was utterly mm. scandalized mm. by. Mm. I had no idea that mm. baby carrots, I don't know if it matters, but baby carrots, if I eat them to satiety, I will spike my glucose over 100 which is crazy. Yeah. And I live in this sort of mid to low 80s. Is that why you did it? Or was there something else? No, so the the organs we, were kicking off bad data. Early, That's gonna be early on, we basically, we, we had settled in on the, the first two dishes of the day, the drink and the two dishes, the chocolate. And we the haven't talked oil. about the drink yet. And then the third dish we had, we identified uh, like 100 plus vegetables and like basically this huge number of things. And so the person I work with, we just said, randomly choose from this assortment of vegetables and vary it up. Like give, my, give me some diversity of food. And so we really let Do you think that, that's important? Well, we were just testing it out. Like, let it be a wild card. And uh, so they tried a whole bunch of different preparations. And so in that, it wasn't a systematic approach. And so we just had too much, too many carrots. Mm. And so that showed up in our, in our measurement. And so How now- did you know it was the carrots? I forget the, tra- the tracks we had- um, but all of our, because you've got yeah. some ungodly number it, it, of you know, yeah. people on this. Like, it's, it's so funny. The, there was this one time where uh, I take um, iodine, iodine. You worried about a nuclear attack? <laughs> no, uh, just one, I take 125 MCGs a day. Why? And um, Why iodine? Just part of my daily dietary intake. Data tells us to take iodine. You're going to have to come up with a, a better answer. There's, and there's markers for it. So at the time, I was doing this uh, zinc test where you, have you ever done this where you put... You can test whether you're zinc deficient or not by no. putting this in your mouth. And if you taste the zinc, you're zinc deficient. If you can't taste anything, you're good on zinc. Interesting. And so I just came prime from that. And so basically you're looking at your body's reaction to doing it. And I thought, that's interesting. So I, I did the idea and, I, and it tastes really good to me. And I thought, mm. does that mean my body's asking more of it? And so I started doing two drops instead of one, just playfully doing it. And then a month later, my labs show up and we're as a team, we're looking at this and they're like, wait a second, that result makes no sense. 
and I had to bashfully confess, I've deviated from the protocol. I did two drops instead of one. Mm. But any deviation... Was it a good deviation? No, it was a bad deviation. Really? So even though it tasted... I thought the punchline was going to be if it tastes good. Like, no. Of so course, I should have known better. This is like me going off and doing something with my mind. Right. Of like, maybe this is a good idea. But th- it's funny because every... I cannot do anything without it showing up in the data. Mm. It's like I have 24-7 surveillance on my body in all the measurements we take. So whether it's my wearables or my imaging or blood draws, it is so comprehensively captured in every moment with everything I'm doing. I have found every time I do something, it immediately manifests, it's not immediately, but it manifests in the data and the team can tease okay. it out. So then let's get back to the things you're actually putting in your body. So, so that people don't want to punch me because I can feel that they're going to. So we have our super veggies, which we turn into a hummus. We've got the five-step uh, ultra bitter, but actually was... I've damaged my palate because I eat mm. clean. Uh, so to me, that was fun. Uh, but the ultra bitter, dark chocolate, high polyphenol, no heavy metals, so on and so forth. Uh, looks like we're going to get to some sort of berry smoothie. Yeah. We've got chocolate covered berries. I'm guessing it's the same chocolate yeah. melted. Looks like maybe some nuts on it. Uh, extra virgin olive oil. Any special thing same about thing that? Same thing as chocolate. It's five levels deep okay. in terms of the purity. Probably worth going through the five on that, but first, and then what's the mystery drink here? Oh, this is for breakfast. So this first here, tin is 50, uh, I think it's 54 pills. So in the morning- Jesus (laughs) Christ. That's a lot of pills. Yeah. So we wake up, you you drink Green Giant, 54 pills. Uh Uh-huh. But so, so much of what you do is like, oh, the data just tells us to keep going. But how did you pick the 54 pills to start with? Yeah. Same process. What what's the first step though? So Randomly ingest bizarre things. There had to be some logic. Mm-hmm. So there, I'm guessing you're working with a guy. That guy is like Oliver, wasn't it? Oliver. Yeah. Oliver. Doctor Zolman. Doctor Oliver Zolman mm-hmm. is like, take these 75 pills. We narrow it down to 54, giving us the results that we want. Something like that. Yeah. He's got some methodology. That's the one part that's missing from all this. Is like, what's that first experimental step? But since we don't need that, because we're just going to tell people to eat and take what you're taking, you have those broken down in your website? Yes. So we can link to that in yes. the show notes. Yes. Okay. Everything here is all on the website. Everything okay. is available for everyone at no cost. All right. Green Giant. What yes. is Green Giant? It is uh, chlorella powder. That, that includes... sounds terrifying. Is chlorella something that grows? It's, uh, so it has spermidine. Is that something that grows? <laughs> like I've heard those names, but honestly, yeah. is there a spermidine plant? Uh, spermidine's in a lot of foods, mushrooms. Okay, and so it's a it's a ingredient. Yeah, for it's just that a, it's a thirteen point five milligrams. Then there's amino acids. It smells like cat food, Brian. <laughs> it tastes good though. It's delicious. Wow, I thought based on the smell, I'm like I'm gonna hate this, this is one. Thing, everyone, uh, it really does smell like cat food, but it doesn't taste like. Not that I know what cat food tastes like, but it doesn't taste like I expected from the smell. Has an aftertaste of bubble gum. Hmm. That's unexpected. I rarely experience anyone who doesn't eat this food with me and arrive at the same place. This is really nice. It is. The whole thing is very nice. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to confess to something. Yeah. I burped a few minutes ago and could taste the the master veggie. And I was like, that was nice. Like even the burp was nice. Yeah. (laughs) So I tried going vegetarian at one point and I did not like it at all. And I was always like, that's a lie. 
I tried going way more vegetables. Let me be very careful in my words. So I am now, call it 80% of my calories come from meat, 20% from vegetables. I tried to reverse it and do 20% from meat and 80% from vegetables. I didn't feel good. And I was always like, well, I just didn't do it intelligently. Mm. I wasn't following the protocol. I was like, what vegetables do I happen to have in my refrigerator? Start eating a lot of those. Um, I would be very interested to try this exact protocol and see how we do. But will there be a transition period where I'm like um, crazy diarrhea because my microbiome Mm -hmm. isn't ready for this? Like, is there there a transition to go through or is it like wake up tomorrow and just start going crazy? Each person's different. Uh, in terms of the transition period. But to your, your point is correct, though, that the reason why I take 100 pills, to, uh, pills a day is if, you, if the budget is 2,000 calories a day and the objective is perfect nutrition mm-hmm. and it's vegan, then this is what keeps my body in that perfect state. And so this is why a lot of people who do try to go vegan or do caloric restriction fail is because their, their body's missing critical, important pieces of nutrition. And so this basically is addressing. So this is what I did is I put myself on this. I call this my autonomous self. It's a 2,000 calories a day, an hour of exercise a day. It's vegan. And I just let my body run. So look at muscle mass, body fat. And I measure all these things. Get an ultrasound. I'm doing full body ultrasound, looking at tendons, ligaments, muscle. Mm-hmm. I, measure, I measure everything. Full body MRI of fat, of liver. Um, and then we say, how is this doing? And it's working. Like it basically has tuned my body to near perfect health. So interesting. Jesus Christ, it's This is, so I didn't expect that you're on your, um, your longevity arc, as the kids would say. I didn't see this coming from our last mm, interview, man. Mm. Th- this is so interesting. And if you didn't look like an elf, I don't know if I would believe in all of it. <laughs> uh, but given that you do, like I'm over here, how fast can I eat this stuff? Uh, okay, so this walk is, me through berries and this is going to be your this? favorite. Pudding? This will be your favorite dish. What is the the puffy stuff? Oh, that's that? pea protein. Pea protein. Yeah, you might want to mix it up a little bit. Otherwise, you might it might right. get caught in your your Let's throat. Go. Let's so go. This is nuts, macadamia nuts, walnuts, flaxseed, sunflower lichen, pomegranate seeds, and most people think it tastes like a dessert. Yeah, there's no thinking. It does taste like a dessert. Yeah. But, you know, let's not trick people. This is not Cold Stone ice cream, but it is tasty. I'm repulsed by Cold Stone ice cream. You take that back. You take that back <laughs> right now. Cold Stone ice cream is delicious. Uh, is that because you... So, Tom Hanks once said when he was losing all the weight for Castaway, mm. he said it got to the point where I didn't want to eat a chocolate cake. You didn't have to tell me. He was like, it just, the idea was disgusting. Yeah. And I've never gotten there. Yeah. So I, the other day someone had a... God damn, this is good, Brian. <laughs> ah, they had man. a bag of something, like some chip or something. And uh, I grabbed one and I put it in my mouth and it just, I, I could taste the chemicals. Yeah. It was almost like eating gasoline. Now for people in the comments saying everything is chemicals, yes, you are correct. But there are some things that taste <laughs> like chemicals. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. It, it was like gasoline. Yeah. This is really nice, man. Mm-hmm. You're making me a believer over here. Yeah. And so you put it all together. And I mean, the people that have been on this. Who created these recipes? We did as a team. Wow. Yeah. So we're just constantly working on it. It's, again, people. There's, it's, are there bananas in this? No. Really? Yeah. I could have passed a lie detector that there are bananas in here. Yeah. 
Yep. You're getting wow. the banana. There's some banana flavor in the pea protein. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I would, I would imagine, Tom, if you did this and you had some duration of time on this, Jesus, that man. you would probably say you can't imagine life not doing it. You've, you've, you well, would, after eating you would this feel one, that good. I, I think I have to do this. Like, I have to try this. To do, to do our time together justice, this is so tasty. If, if that can be made into a hummus, because the yeah. mushrooms yes. freak me out, exactly. to be honest. Yeah. But it tasted great. This is freaky. All right, and we still have more to go. And then if you want to be wild. I want to be wild. You know, like this is the same dark chocolate uh, with a few berries. And so it just kind of, yeah. Let's see how we do here. Strawberries make everything taste good. That's nice, man. It's really nice. And you eat, do you eat a plate like, is this part of the protocol? I don't eat that on a daily basis. Uh, I serve these up to friends when we do our blueprint uh, brunches. Wow. Now, do you have anybody doing the blueprint on meat? My son does. Interesting. Yeah, he has, he is identical on everything except for he has chicken with his super veggie. And his markers going in the right direction. Now, how much is youth a get out of jail free card though? Like, uh, there are people that really mess themselves up. So I imagine you'd be able to see it. So just to turn that into a full question. So, uh, you would be able to see if you're monitoring your son, Mm -hmm. it's not like, well, he's 17 and therefore everything is going to look great. If he were doing things that were off, you'd be able to pick it up right away. That's right. Okay. Very interesting, man. Yeah, and he's our prototype. You know, every time we're doing a new measurement protocol, he is willing, he's excited to be involved. So I, we have this, um, I measure, I look at my skin, and I'm trying to basically mm. have skin like an 18-year-old. Yeah. And so we have this machine that does multispectral imaging, gives us, you know, 10 different dimensions of skin, and I, he'll do the measurement, I'll do the measurement, we'll compare our results, you know, and he'll age out at 17 like he is, and... So I always have a biological comparison. It's just fun. We do it. It's a fun family activity. It's, hu- it's, you know, it's humorous. Uh, it's just... Friday it, at the Johnson you know, household. I mean, for example, like I always try to teach my kids to wear sunscreen. And it was always like... Yeah, why? Bad. <clears throat> but sunscreen, isn't that like you're, you're absorbing toxic chemicals into the biggest organ in your body? Yeah, and yeah. Like they would just say, like, leave but isn't me. that true? I mean, like, I'm phobic of sunscreen. I never mm, wear sunscreen. Mm. So I get in the sun. I try to be thoughtful. I know that I can't just take infinite amounts of sun, but I try to have a base tan at yeah. all times. It was the one thing. So looking at a lot of the footage that you've done, your thighs, bro, are white, like scary white. <laughs> and yeah. don't we, I mean, vitamin D, getting sun. I'm super sketched out by the idea of just um, isolating compounds and doing everything through supplementation. And vitamin D, I, to your point, there's a lot of stuff we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And as more and more people start reading all their data, things are going to spring forth from the data. And I have a feeling that one of the answers is going to be everything you can get naturally, you should get naturally. So if you can eat it, like it would be far better, my hypothesis goes, that it would be far better to eat things mm-hmm. that contain all the things that you're supplementing than it is to supplement Vitamin D being the one, again, I'm a lay person. I am not a scientist. I'm not tracking this. This is just a hypothesis I have, which again is only my best guess. But that 
vitamin D, you want sun impacting your skin, is my gut instinct. You're saying no. I'm not saying no. I'm saying that the way we approach skin, our objective is to get my entire body to have the biological characteristics of my 17-year-old. Yep. So that includes um, all the characteristics. And so we do full body treatment. And we do a sufficient number of treatments where these treatments, I need to be out of the sun for certain durations of time. And so really it's an optimization of we're doing treatments. I avoid the sun because we're doing these treatments uh, on an ongoing basis. And we measure everything. We use multispectral imaging. We measure it with all these different instruments. Mm. And so we have a protocol of trying to do this. And the idea of, of, you know, should you get sun or not sun and for how long and under what circumstances, that's, again, an example of it explodes into infinite complexity. And if we actually take this and we look at the evidence, I'm sure we could come up with some cohesive answer. But it's the kind of thing that, that to me, gets in the way of the bigger picture. Like if you, People get so fixated on this one thing of like how much time should you be in the sun, and then they spend all their time doing that and then commit self-destructive behavior and don't eat anything good for themselves. Mm. And it's just it's missing this bigger picture. And so it'd be, it'd be wonderful to solve that debate once and for all for the, for the entire of all of humanity. There's also bigger things we could be focusing on. And so this protocol we have, you know, that's why my skin is so pale, is we, we have these iterations of these skin treatments. And according to our measurement systems, it's working like across whole body. All right, I wanna start teasing out the difference between slowing the aging clock and actual rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I know we won't know for quite some time, and you were very thoughtful with your earlier answer. You do think that we will ultimately be able to meaningfully reverse age. Um, How much reversal are we gonna be able to do? And what what is the key to that? Is this like getting methylation right? Like is that really, because I wanna boil this down into its simplest thing. And if I were to oversimplify based on my you know, look, I've done so many of these interviews now, I'm really not your average layperson, but I'm definitely not a scientist and I'm not at the bleeding edge of this stuff. But methylation, if the hypothesis that I put out earlier is accurate, it seems like methylation is something we really have to point to. And that is your cells begin to de-differentiate. Um, so they are no longer the eye, the liver, the skin, they're just sort of, uh, they're falling apart. They don't remember what kind of cell type they are. If that really is true, the methylation, like that's gonna be the thing. Zoom in on that. All the things that we're eating, it's working because it's helping with methylation. Again, this is just a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Do you have a similar sort of boiled down thing or just, I'm gonna guess the answer to this. I don't know if the audience is gonna love this or hate this, but I wanna see if I'm really beginning to understand. What you're gonna say is, it's a waste of time to make that hypothesis and that the at today's current stage where artificial intelligence is and all that and where human intelligence is, all you can do is look at the data. And so you're going to try things, you're going to look at the data, you're going to try things and look at the data. It's very unsatisfying in an interview. Mm. But if mm. that is the truth, mm. Mm. is that the truth? I mean, Dr. Zolman uh, created this 78 organ quantification methodology. And he approached this saying, you need to approach uh, the human system by an organ-by-organ basis. Mm. You, of course, can do things for system well-being, like we have been doing. And so we, 
this first phase of Blueprint has been entirely about getting the basics right to slow the rate of aging. We just started in the past month at this phase two, which is what you said, regeneration. And we're doing this on an organ by organ basis. So in the same way, we can, we've looked at my heart and we've quantified it from a dozen or so different age markers. And once you have those age markers, you're armed with going to the literature and saying, what evidence is there in literature that you can regenerate the heart mm. in these functions or in this anatomical way? And that's how we're approaching the entirety of regeneration. And this is the open question is, can we in fact reduce the biological age of me in its entirety, starting with organs? And so it may be epigenetics, it may be DNA, DNA methylation, maybe not. So it's really TBD. But what we're doing is we have to start with measurement and we have to look at it as a system because your heart can be 70 years old and you're chronologically 30. You're, so your, your organs are at this very wide range. So you're not one age, you're this whole, you're, you're hundreds of different ages. And so that's what we're really trying to do is break it down. That's why you need such robust measurement. That's also why I'm sharing this all publicly is that the, I know from experience, if you take this to a doctor, it's a hard conversation to have with a doctor. They won't get it, man. Uh, like you would have to be with somebody so specialized. I'm not saying no doctor ever. I'm just saying the realities of the medical system is so overwhelming. I think about this in my own business. I spend so much time keeping the doors open and the lights on that I don't get to think enough about the future and yeah. all of that. Yeah. And so, God, I can only imagine as a doctor, you have to see so many patients and your, yeah. your income is dependent on the number of people that you get through the door. You don't have time to be yeah, exactly. and researching so this, is, this stuff. I agree. That I'm saying absolutely nothing negative about doctors. Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is uh, they have a way of doing things and they have systems and they play within a system with insurance companies and they see patients like you're saying. And so I, if somebody's trying to do something that is not a part of the system, it's hard. Which is why I've been sharing this with everyone is then it creates, it gives an opportunity for a bunch of people to jump in and start doing things in different ways. Uh, but it, it, it's this opportunity for us to rethink entirely. Like last night I was, my, uh, I have so many ideas on my sleep always. Last night, the idea that was grinding away in my sleep uh, was this idea of Gen Zero. So we say, you know, we- You tweeted that out yeah. yesterday or today. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. so it was my son's idea. And I was playing around with him uh, with this idea of zero principle thinking and all that kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, Gen Zero. And it just stunned me. And so last night I was just churning in my sleep and I, I was trying to write in my mind a paragraph of Gen Zero is, you know, uh, in the 21st century, Gen Zero was a group of you know, people that spanned age and gender and ethnicity and blank. And they came together and they effectively said, we're okay detaching ourselves from all things humans have built. And we're okay to walk into this unknown future in this system where we all move in together doing this goal alignment. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But it wasn't, it was this delicate relationship of like, we honor what, has, what the human race has created. We appreciate it for what it is. We also are not beholden to any of it. We're not trying to superimpose ourselves on the future we're not saying that what we have is the best thing that any intelligent group in the universe can create. We are flexible, we are open, and we'll walk into this new system. And I was trying to think of what are the contours of this new generation that is you unified, not just by date of birth, but unified by this philosophical concept, realizing time and place. If we buy into that together, like we can, because holding on to these we love to grasp on to things with a death grip. And for us to let go, oftentimes, is the biggest impediment. And so I just couldn't get this thought out of my mind last night as, like, what is this new group of people they rally around and they find meaning in this new, new unification? So, I mean, really, Tom, like the, and I know I always go to these philosophical areas and you're trying to bring it very practical. No, no, no. We, I think it's great. we got the, the hardcore practicality. To so me, now I'm open. the future here is if we say the first goal is to create goal alignment within self and it raises this question, who's in charge? Brian who sets the alarm, Brian at 9 p.m. who sets the alarm for 6 a.m. or 6 a.m. Brian who wants to hit the snooze button. And if we recognize the conflict within us at thousands of points and we say we need to goal align within self. And for me doing that was removing the tool I thought most important in my own mind removing myself and saying, I'm going to allow a system solve this for me. And then if we say, okay, now I've got goal alignment within self, you and I are going to have goal alignment and we humans are going to work on our goal alignment and we're going to do it with artificial intelligence and we're going to do it with planet Earth. The future of our existence is a computational fabric of goal alignment, of trillions of intelligent agents and we are immersed in this tapestry and we're moving in this trajectory. We don't know where, but along the system and much like evolution has done on planet earth and produced, but it's this system of interwoven intelligence and we're part of it. And in doing that, we may have to consider different ways of being and what we want to hold on to and how much we're willing to let go and how much we're willing to jump into this expansive future. To me, it seems like it's obvious, like this is where it's moving. And these are the systems we want to build so we can participate in this future. Okay. So I love that vision. The data tells me that it will require brutal authoritarian rule to get everyone on board with that. How do you think through the, the messiness of the human mind, because 
to your point about the death grip, people grab on and they, I have not seen evidence that everyone can let go. Some people can, you obviously can. Um, but how do you deal with the problem? You know, in religion, the problem of evil, I'll call this the problem of human, like humans going to human, they're going to be grabbing onto things, mm -hmm. clutching, desperate, unable to see that they exist yeah. inside of a frame of reference. They can't break out of it. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that? I've been hosting these blueprint brunches uh, at my home with friends uh, called The First Supper. And I pose this question, this thought experiment. I say, if you could have a system that takes care of you and gives you perfect health, you feel your very best. Would you say yes to that? Knowing you're going to have to make, knowing that you will be making changes that accommodate that. So for example, if the algorithm has you in an ideal state eating the majority of your food in the morning, you do so and you don't do so at night. Like whatever things emerge, and let's just say it changes something in your life, right? So if you could achieve perfect health from making some changes, almost inevitably, the response is no and a violent no, and their, and their minds generate almost like ChatGPT a list of 45 reasons why existence no longer makes sense for them because it's a dystopian reality. Because and, they're being forced to do it? Uh, just the thought just hits the brain in a way where there's this knee-jerk reaction. and Because I don't think that question gets to the scary part yet. So why are they... So let me reiterate what I heard you just say. Um, there is a system that will give you perfect health You'll have to follow the system, yeah. but there's a system that will give you perfect health. Would you implement that system? And you're saying yeah. people violently say no. Would you say yes to it? Yeah, because, uh, and I understand this, it steps on what they perceive to be their most sacred attribute of existence, their, their own decision authority. Their yeah, the ability. way you pose that question isn't scary yet. I, so here's... From your retelling, here's what they're hearing. And this, I think, is actually the thing that I'm worried about. But it isn't what you asked. And I just want to make mm. sure that we tease those two things apart. What it sounds like they're hearing is if I gave you a system that would give you perfect health and you can't opt out, you are going to do it. Then I get why they would react violently. Yeah. So I guess maybe the... Would you let people opt out? Like so if this you is, were the So the this is the thing. Overlord? So this is not someone imposing. This is your own privately controlled system. So mm -hmm. the, no one's forcing it upon you. And people still react negatively? Well, so that doesn't compute. Yes, yeah, so I, I need to get to the punchline because there's a good punchline here. But basically, like, you're safe. It's okay. There's no one behind the, the curtains pulling the strings. This is all about you and your private system with your ideal health. So there's no bad things going on behind the scenes. So would you accept that? And this, so the trade-off is, would you be willing to consider the modifications of life to do this thing? And so what happens is, and so what I'm trying to say is, the mind immediately wants to reject it because the mind wants to keep its authoritarian power. And so your comment to me of the only way this could be implemented into society would be an authoritarian government superimposing on people. And what I'm saying is that what you just said was my mind over my body. I had that. My mind was a tyrannical force over me, forcing itself upon all of me. My heart couldn't speak up. My lungs couldn't speak up. My kidney couldn't speak up. 
My mind did whatever it wanted, whenever it wanted, and however it wanted. And the moment its authority is challenged, it throws an absolute fit. And I saw this when I fired Evening Brian. I said, okay, Brian from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. or 10 p.m., he has no control. He absolutely, like, he eats way too much food. He's a very serious problem. And when I got to the day and I said, playfully, you're fired, and I started implementing that, I would write up five, and then he would show up. And he'd be like, just today, or like, just a little bit. Or, and then when the answer came back, no, that version of Brian was on the floor, throwing a tantrum, punching holes in the wall, kicking and screaming, desperate for control. And so I saw this behavior inside. I saw this whole argument happening inside of me as I screamed for control. But I knew that wasn't appropriate because this, this guy was really not in my best interest. And so what I'm saying is it's, it's this phenomena we have within ourselves, within society. And so if, if we're mindful enough about this conversation, what I'm saying is we all have this inside of us right now, this unfair relationship with selves, but we desperately defend it, even though it drives us to early death, even though it drives us to aging disease. And the only way I could solve my own problem was to remove my mind, who was forcing itself upon all my body, and have a system do it. And so it, it, in these dinners, it typically it breaks people's brains because it triggers this really tough response. And just like you, everyone understands a question just slightly differently. And they're like, but wait a second, what about this? What about this? What about that? What about this? But then at the end of the conversation, after we've walked through it, people get their bearings and be like, you know what? You're right. Like I have this nuanced relationship with myself. I have these different versions of myself. I'm not happy with all the different versions. Some of them I actually don't want in me anymore. And so you can, but it takes a little warm up because otherwise it triggers really strong responses. So to me, it's not about a government saying everybody should do this. It's about each person. This is what I'm saying. If we want to solve the problems that are facing us, the biggest problems we have, it's not pointing out and finding who's creating the biggest problem and shaming them or yelling at them or telling them what they're doing wrong. The best thing we can do is point at self and say, how can I solve the problems within me? And if we can solve the problems within ourselves, we can begin to think about how to solve problems together. But I don't know if we're going to be able to solve these big problems if we just ignore the major turmoil happening in each one of us and we don't solve this fundamental problem. Because again, it, we treat this planet the same way we treat ourselves. Okay, so let's take the thought experiment as far as we can and make it as hard as possible. So let's say the data's coming out. It's very clear that people have an evil overlord in their own mind the 5 to 10 p.m. Brian, it's making poor decisions that then actually damages the computer, their mind, that they're using to approach the world in a rational fashion. And so now I know, I've got all the data in the world, just thought experiment, every single person that runs the protocol ends up thinking in a more similar fashion, they're not at war with themselves, they're saying the same things you're saying, I would not trade the way that I feel now for anything in the world. Thank God I ran the protocol. Every person, one after another, after another, after another. So we know it works. Would you let people opt out? Knowing they're, they're opting out almost certainly because their computer's broken. And so if we just 
force them just for a little while so that they could think clearly and then they would all come over to this camp. But would you let them opt out? Every intelligent agent can choose as they, they can choose what they want to do. The goal here is to goal align among all agents. And every agent, every person, when I say agent, I just mean we need to think about this in terms of AI and humans and the planet. It's no longer just humans. We're playing with in a much broader game here. Mm. And we really need to understand the game has changed. Every agent is going to make decisions in this fabric. And just like we do today, and people play the, the you know, life with their various decisions. We may turn a corner, however, is if we arrive... I'm not sure that many of us look around right now and we're giving the world two thumbs up on how we're doing. Maybe there's a better way of doing things. And maybe if we could solve this fundamental problem of self-destruction, not only within self, but cheering on capitalistic systems in the world who cause people to commit self-harm, who self-destructive behaviors, who encourage them to commit self-destructive behavior. If we can solve these fundamental things, so it's not so violent, maybe we'd feel different about each other. Maybe we'd feel different about doing this as a society. Right now, it's reasonable to distrust because you know in the moment you get into a relationship with some kind of system that you know you have to be suspicious they're going to take advantage of you. Because it's not embedded in our morals and fabric, in our morals and ethical systems yet, that that's just not appropriate. And so I understand what you're saying. It really takes a few steps to think through this: of get into a mindset where you feel safe that people and corporations are not out to get you. You're in a system of goal alignment. You're moving along. Each person can make different decisions on different things with certain variations but it's just a different way of being. I'll give you all that, but I'll ask like yes or no style, would you let people opt out? So it works, everyone that does it, there is a better way, all of that, yeah. but will you let them opt out and do dumb things? Oh, I mean, I have no authority. <laughs> but if magic wand, you now can do it, do you think that that would be a desirable outcome to let people do dumb things? They're putting us at risk. It's a necessity. It's I uh, to let them do dumb things. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. A, You're really. I didn't think you were going to answer the question that way. So this is utterly fascinating. So yeah. just to put my own card on the table, I think you have to let people do dumb things. Yeah. As much as I find it very distressing, but, and it makes me very sad. Dumb. I mean, basically, uh, self harm. The the system requires agent action. It requires that freedom of movement. That's what the whole system is. It, 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 um, it's because it's going to produce richness of outcome. It's not entirely negative, right? There's like this diversity and unexpectedness and uh, iteration. It needs to have characteristics. Characteristics meaning you were talking earlier about the element of surprise, like yeah. there's the unexpected, all that. So there is a richness in that that you think is ultimately desirable for humans. Okay, that's really interesting. And I actually thought you were going somewhere else. So I'm very fascinated by that. Um, one thing that I think is, I may be approaching the problem just from a radically different 
perspective, which is, so going back to, I want, you're having a biological experience to be on my tombstone. And I've heard people say a lot, until you change the biology, you're never gonna change the outcome. Like humans are gonna do human-y things and we know what that looks like. It looks like exactly what we have right now. And systems basically, um, you start from scratch and you build something up and it gets amazing. And then you get to the point where the meaning making machine begins to break down. People don't have to fight anymore. I remember one of my earliest realizations was some people need to be chased by a lion. And I wasn't even sure what I meant mm-hmm. by that. It was probably mm-hmm. my early 20s mm-hmm. where I was just like, Meh. I get the feeling that some people actually be better off if life was really hard. Mm-hmm. And there's almost this like surplus time to ruminate that gets people in a lot of trouble. And so whether it's childhood trauma or whatever, if you're not fighting for your life, like that can be all consuming. Okay, let me piece this together. So you're having a biological experience. Um, There is, I think, a hyper-predictable outcome to the way that the human mind is wired. And it's it happens at different rates at different times, largely based on geography, which then gives birth to culture. Culture ultimately speaks to your frame of reference, Mm -hmm. which I could do a whole episode on what frame of reference is, but it is the water to the fish. You Mm -hmm. see life entirely through your frame of reference, but yet it is completely invisible to you. One country is gonna do well for a while and then it's gonna crumble. Every empire that has ever existed has also fallen apart. So there's something in here that's predictable, mm-hmm. but it's just different enough over time and all that that it, it rhymes, but it's not perfectly predictable. Yeah. <clears throat> but on the grand arc of humanity, I think this is relatively predictable. You're being led by the nose by your biology. You've yeah. already identified that, that there's, you're a conglomeration of a bunch of different wants, desires, micro personalities, all of that, and they're all sort of competing. And if you yeah. could get your diet and sleep, gross generalization, okay. if you could get those right, your frame of reference would be altered so profoundly, yeah. you would begin making different decisions. But for me to try to force you into that shoot, I break something in the way the human mind works, and all hell breaks loose. The other part of this that is really interesting, now we have to get into kernel and why you're doing all of that, is we may be, and it's always dangerous to say this time it's different, but we may actually be on the precipice because of artificial intelligence where everything really is going to change. Mm-hmm. And to put a really fine point on it, you said the exact reason why. This is what Ray Kurzweil calls the singularity, which people are now defining differently, but I think the right way to define the singularity around artificial intelligence is, it is the point at which you can no longer predict the future. Your your ability to understand how many zeros, the zero principle, meaning that we go from zero to one, just over and over, these are things that weren't guessable from the previous moment. They are the Einsteinian breakthrough of, oh, no, 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 Newtonian physics is actually wrong. It's special relativity, it's general relativity, it's all completely different quantum world. It was always there, but now we're like, holy cow, Like this is really, really different. So when you have Einstein level zero to one realizations coming off at 10 a day, 100 to 1,000 a day, where you have a computer that can do 20,000 years worth of self-improvement overnight, it, you, you can't predict the next mm-hmm. hour, let That's alone right. the next day, week, year, whatever. That's right. So if we really are on the precipice of that moment, then it's like, well, we have to be uniquely thoughtful. So to bring your whole worldview together, and then we'll go into kernel, it's, hey, because that's so real, mm-hmm. 
And oh, by the way, it all starts with this food, which is why we began the episode here, because you have to change your biology in order to change your frame of reference, in order to see this moment clearly enough. But now this moment is very real and we have to find a way to align our goals internally, interpersonally, and with artificial intelligence. Well said. I have the chills because I'm worried that you're right and that this is a really big, complicated thing, but how true to how I've experienced life that it all begins with food. Okay. Colonel, start. Sorry. Just one thing on yours. The whole thing is basically something big is happening. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could cooperate? And to cooperate, I need to help you with your biology. We, in order for us to cooperate, we need to cooperate within ourselves and then cooperate with each other and cooperate with our, this new form of intelligence and we need to cooperate with planet Earth. We need to cooperate to move forward. And that's, if you look at the world and you measure the acrimony and the violence and the hate, you know, like, yes, things are moving along, but could we do a better job? And so really boil the whole thing down. Yes, like, can we figure out systems of cooperation? Okay, Um, I took down a quote, but I turned my phone off, so I'm gonna have to paraphrase it. This is you. It goes something like this. I can't imagine a world in which, in I think it was 50 years, in 50 years from now that humans are relevant if they can't learn to read and write in the language of the brain. You didn't say language of the brain, but neurology or something like that. Um, What do you mean by that? And how is Colonel helping to address that? In the the same way that Blueprint makes uh, maintaining perfect diet an engineering discipline. So we're not, we're trying to avoid guesswork. We're trying to avoid uh, people riffing on the spot. We're trying to say we want as good of data as we can from as many data points as we can. We want to look at evidence. We want to do this protocol. I'm suggesting it might make sense to do the same thing with our mind, the wellness of our minds. And so when you buy an appliance, you don't think about whether it's going to fit through your door. You just assume it will, and you don't think about it. And we do all kinds of things every day where we just do something because we assume that it's just going to work in society. So society builds itself according to engineering standards. We figure out the size of a door, then appliances are built for that size and all the above. We currently have few ways to build engineering standards around our own mental well-being because we don't have measurement. And so we have a cognition crisis in the world today with mental health. And we have, as a way of measurement, we have our feelings to express, uh, but we don't have good ways to measure the brain frequently with high resolution. And it leaves us with this huge blind spot. So how much social media is good for the brain? How much social interaction is good for the brain? What happens when someone does ketamine or to the brain over a 30 day time period? What happens when someone does an SSRI? What happens when, and fill in that blank with hundreds of examples. Mm. We don't have good examples. We don't have good data. So the technology to image the brain uh, gold standard, you know, fMRI, uh, but it's too big and too expensive. It's a million, you know, multi-million dollar machine, room size system. On the lower end, you have EEG, which is easier to do, but it's not good enough. 
So there's this huge gaping hole, which is why none of us measure our brains on a regular basis. And so the idea with kernels, we've built this helmet that can measure your brain. It looks at your cortex and we can answer questions. So for example, I did ketamine while wearing this brain device flow. Interesting. And we looked at my brain. Why ketamine of all the drugs? Uh, it was the fastest path to do because we could do it in healthy participants. Uh, if we did something like psilocybin or MDMA, it, we had to set up a trial. Hmm. And so this is a way for us to do it quickly. But we wanted to pose the question, what happens in the brain when someone does ketamine? And so I measured my brain uh, every day for five days. Then I measured it when I did ketamine. I had a 68 milligram intramuscular dose, according to an oh. FDA uh, recipe. And then I measured my brain for 30 days after. And we now have data showing what happened in my brain over a 35-day time period when I did ketamine. And it helps baseline. So what we show from the study is a 15-person study that a person's response to ketamine predicted their depressive symptoms a week later. Their response to ketamine. So oh, not taking it or not taking it, how they responded. So they're actually, the, the amplitude of their response, so actually how they responded to ketamine predicted their depressive symptoms a week later. Meaning if you resp define responded, like positively, what was the data point? Oh, just meaning like the, the signatures of the brain response that we recorded. Mm -hmm. So the type of signature, how universal is this? Like for example, think of uh, how carrots uh, create a response in you if you're glycemic. Yep. So same thing, a ketamine, go, you know, someone experiences ketamine, everyone has a varied response. And so what you're trying to solve with ketamine is, uh, who is it going to work on? Uh, how well is it working? How many doses do they need? At what frequency? For depression. Yeah, or, or for anything else ketamine could be used for. But you're basically trying to figure out, just like, okay, so uh, think of kernel like a, a blood glucose monitor. You put that on and you're trialing certain foods. Like mm. when I eat grapes, spikes. Carrots, spike. When I eat this, and you're creating this intuition of what happens to your body when you have these foods. And you're so trying have to you say, guys, have you created a, an AI algorithm that says these brain patterns or brain states, I'm not sure how you think about it, but are these brain patterns or brain states, are they are good and these other ones are bad. And so you took ketamine and you now four days later are in good brain activity versus somebody who took it and didn't respond in the, to the degree that we would want them to respond yeah. and they are now in bad, negative, suboptimal, again, not sure what words you would use, brain patterns. Is that how you're thinking of it? I mean, the language of the discipline is not yet to a good and bad state. Uh, there are observations about networks and how they operate. And so it's still an emergent area, but you can tease out what are the defining patterns of a person's experience. And so so you, we know what depression looks like. Yeah, starting to get, exactly. To get patterns of, you know, of these things. And again, the science is emerging, but just to basically say, we can acquire patterns of the brain that give us insight to these basic questions. Should a person do ketamine, MDMA, an SSRI, breath work, nothing, blank, 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 blank. Mm. We don't know. And should they do one of these or 10 of these? And how do you ma manage the markers? And should they eliminate social media from their daily routines? And should they, we just have no idea how to modulate the well-being of our brain. Dude, how good is the reading? So I've seen the video of it. Looks really cool. But I don't. Is that like um, feeling uh, micro bumps through mittens, or are we like really like able to to get a good read? How how good is the helmet? That's the question. It's better than what we have right now, which is nothing. Mm. 
And so another study we did, which will help build intuitions, we looked at alcohol dose response. So we said we had a placebo, a low, and then a medium alcohol. And so we found that when people had a, a low alcohol response, they, um, they became impaired. Uh, when they did behavioral measures, that you couldn't identify their impairment. They behaved as if they were not impaired. We could see the impairment in the brain because the brain compensates for the impairment and the person performs as well in the task as wow. though they were not impaired, but we can see it. When they became sufficiently intoxicated, they became so impaired, the brain lost its ability to make up for it. Mm. So this is the same thing that happens in cognitive decline. So cognitive decline starts many, many years before the behavioral measures happen because the brain is compensating for the decline. Yeah. And so this whole idea is we can record things in the brain that we are unaware of. And so in this case, when people were self-reporting whether or not they were intoxicated, you know, impaired, it was wildly inaccurate. And so the fundamental question is, can I rely upon my self-report, my ability to feel what I'm experiencing and report it? Is that an accurate representation of what is going on in my brain? Mm. No. So if we can't rely upon that and we can't measure it, we're flying blind in society as we build systems of mental wellness, which like you look at the world and it's like, we're, I don't know if we're doing great. I don't know if we give ourselves a five-star review in the mental wellness of society. And so flow is meant to say we can record uh, this brain activity and we can apply it to everything that will allow us to create intuitions and data and protocols. So it's basically blueprint, but for the brain where you're taking this system of measurement and it gives scientists uh, ways to measure their psychedelics, you know, as they develop these things, whether they want a, because we could pick up a, a, a signature of whether someone is going through a altered state of consciousness or not. It's something that could level up the way in which we fix things that are broken in the brain and improve things that are working. Are you guys using AI? Because this feels like, I can use it, I can kick off all this data, but if I don't have something that's aggregating these patterns, then, and not just aggregating them, but looking at them and associating them either with self-reported feelings or something, but something has to make the correlation, right? Something has to tell me uh, your HRV was too flat, and by the way, you want this much variability as optimal. Do you guys have that kind of read on the data? So that is exactly what we're, do, we're, we're trying to do right now. So we are looking at uh, basically an HRV for the brain. So we're looking at the default mode network, which is a big circuit in the brain that has, it's very studied. And when the default mode network is poorly regulated, sometimes bad things happen, ADHD, depression, anxiety. When the default mode network is well-regulated, a person's in a better state. Mm. Now, there's a lot of studies showing the power of looking at the default mode network. And what we've done is we've built a, a system where you put flow in your head, you look at a screen, and you're training your default mode network. So it's almost, I think about like trying to control, uh, move your ear. You're not quite sure how to do it. You just like think about it long enough, and eventually you find the muscle, and it's like, ah, there it is, I can now move my ear. So you're using it like biofeedback? A, neuro, a neurofeedback. Whoa. And so it's basically, think of it like you... So I can watch it live? Exactly. You watch a, you watch a screen. So we all know going to the gym to work out biceps or work out the legs, you do exercises that get stronger. It helps mm -hmm. you in everything you know, in life. We're saying you can basically go to the gym 
for a brain muscle that's really important to everything. Managing things that have gone wrong, improving things that are going well, preparing yourself for adversity. So there's a lot of studies showing the promise. It's not yet beyond reproach that it's there. We're trying to prove the science. Mm. But that's what we think is potentially the most interesting thing right now is can we isolate the default mode network? Can people wear this and can they do bio, you know, neurofeedback looking at your screen and learn how to build this muscle? And if they do that, I mean, for example, could soldiers do this so that when they encountered something that was PTSD inducing, it'd be less of a blow? Or could you do something where when a person's in a negative state of anxiety, depression, mm. that instead of taking a, a pill to try to address it, they build the muscle to counteract it. And it's an active thing they do. And so we're, we're excited about this. We're, our first data is coming out in a month of where we're at. We need to answer questions like how many people can successfully do this over how many sessions, how long does it last? So it's still emergent, but we like the idea as a practical demonstration of build a muscle in your brain that helps you resilient, be resilient to bad things and improve the things that are already working well. Dude, so I used, um, I had a very debilitating mm -hmm. back problem at one point where it was technically my scalings. So mm -hmm. I, I couldn't even sit or stand, like everything was uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not a crier, but it made me want to cry. Mm -hmm. Like I had this sense of like, I, if I could just weep about this, that yeah. it would, I would somehow have emotional catharsis that I needed. It was that yeah. like all encompassing in my life. Oh God, it was miserable. And I, of course, thought, well, it's, it's a problem here with my scalings or it's a problem with my neck. As it turned out, it's the mid of my back mm. had a weakness. And when I went to see a physiotherapist, he was like, oh, I know exactly what your problem is. I see this a lot. Like, you need to fire these muscles. And I'm like, I am firing those muscles. He's like, no, you're not. Mm. And he was like touching me. He's like, you're not firing them at all. And he's like, I'm going to give you a biofeedback device. I'm going to put uh, you know, a little electrode yeah. or whatever on that part of the muscle. Yeah. And this device is going to beep whenever you actually fire that. And it was life-changing. Yeah. So I finally learned, I was like, dee, 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 yeah. I was like, oh my God. And so by being able to hear it, I completely eliminated my scaling problem because I was able to finally figure out how to work out those muscles. Yeah. It was just mind-blowing. Yeah. So as somebody who has struggled with profound anxiety, the thought of being like, ah, yeah. I know what scenarios, put the helmet on and be like, there's calm. Yeah. Dude, that could be, I've heard yeah. you, we're not sure yet, lots left to do. Yeah. But if that works anything like the biofeedback that I got on my back, it, that's life-changing. Yeah, I love your experience. That's exactly what we're trying to do. So how does one encounter that now? Is it they have to come to your clinic and it's all sort of pre- yeah. Um, commercialization? Yeah, we're actually getting volunteers right now to do our, our preliminary study. Then we'll do a second study based upon those results. So yeah, you can come to Kernel. Uh, we ha I think we have it on the website. Uh, you can sign up. And then if we can show compelling results, we want to get this to clinics all over the world. And we want this to be in people's homes. Mm. Uh, because if, like you're saying, uh, if you can, in fact, focus on this brain muscle and it has this connection to a whole bunch of things uh, it could be meaningfully impactful in a lot of people's lives and it's not just the, the, the device doesn't just work for the default mode network it's just the network we chose all right there's all kinds of networks in the brain we could we could train it on and so it's just the very beginning and then once you have the data and the networks you start playing with interventions like okay so now you're doing this exercise 
Now you can add these other things. Does it help? Does it hurt? Does mm. it accelerate? And that's really, we're trying to kick off a, an enthusiastic uh, improvement of our mental well-being across the board. So not just address things that are bad, like ADHD, depression, and so on, but also performance, concentration, and imagination, and creativity, and resilience. And so it's full spectrum. And so the, the technology's built, took us five years to build. Uh, people suggested to us is impossible. We did it successfully. The team's remarkable. And now we need to prove the science in this window of time we have, which is a big task. And we, we chose an impossibly hard thing to do with this company. Yes, you did. Now, what, what is the hard part? Is it getting the light through the skull? Is it making sense of the, which I guess for people that don't know, that's what you guys are doing using photons, right? You shoot them into the brain. It's exactly the way the sun works. So nobody yeah. should be freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. Sun penetrates you far deeper yeah, than people realize. So you're zapping photons in people's brains. Some of them bounce back out. The ones that come back out tells us what we need to know about what's going on. Yeah. Um, is that the hard part? Like what's the... What's the impossibly hard oh, part? I mean, it's like everything's hard. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's basically it's a pulse oximeter. So a lot of people became familiar with pulse oximeters during COVID. Mm. You put this on your finger, you see a red glow, and it tells you your heart rate and your blood oxygenation. Uh, and so it's just a pulse, pulse oximeter for the brain. Very safe. Uh, like you said, it, you get less light in your brain than you're going out in the sun. And by, looking, by doing that, you tease out patterns of the brain. So you can see how the brain is firing, which regions are talking to which regions. So you have this really beautiful matrix of, of data. And so it's like, um, yeah, it's just, it's the, once you have a device that can acquire information, like so a blood glucose monitor you wear, or like a genome sequence, or your microbiome sequence, or a blood panel, whenever you have these measurements you get, it it creates an entire ecosystem that surrounds itself with a measurement and they build around it. And right now we're flying blind to brain, you know, like, so it is trying to create a formal data driven discipline around our mental well-being. It's mm. the only device in the world that has the ability that is low cost enough, high quality enough and easy enough to use. There's nothing else that can do it. And so we need to show this can punch through. We have not done that yet. We're close. But now we're just playing in the realm of science and you just can't predict science. We don't know when we're going to reach a threshold to say it's there. Now, it could be in a month. It could be three months. It could be 12 months. We don't know. Mm. And that's the hard thing about deep tech is you, you can't engineer science in a way that is predictable. Yeah. And you seem to really be following the data, which I really appreciate. Um, so using the technology... Um, on a daily basis to find some sort of ability to use that muscle in order to shape the way that you feel is one of those things that, yeah. man, that could That's really right. be transformational. But I want to know, why did you go down that path? So I know you and Elon spoke mm -hmm. early on in the process and you were originally about implantation mm -hmm. into the brain. And so tying this back into your quote, if humans don't figure out how to write read and write in the language of neurology, they're gonna be irrelevant. Why did you give up on what seems like it would be way more, like you'd be able to do far more manipulation if you actually get inside the brain? Yeah, the, uh, my analysis was that building an implantable product uh, takes around you know, 10 years-ish. Once you build it, tr do, go through trials, get the clinical outcomes, it's like 10 years to go to market, thereabouts. 
And then you start the rollout process. You're going through the healthcare system and insurance companies. It's a, it's a long, slow process. Now, it has its place and it's done. There's over 300,000 people who have implants today. Whoa. So it's been, it's been wildly successful to treat things like Parkinson's and, and other mm. things. Um, it has shortcomings in that it, it's not scaled very easily. You know, mm. you, you're dealing with surgery and you're dealing with uh, neurosurgeons of like, how many people can actually do it. At the time, nobody thought there was a non-invasive path to do it. Uh, if you just surveyed the world and, and sampled people, everyone would have told you no path. Mm. And so we spent two years looking at every possible path we could look at according to the laws of physics and we did everything. And we found a path that we could just barely see through. Everything had to work to make that happen. And we threaded the needle and we succeeded. We, we built the technology, it works. We have peer review publications on this and it, it does it. And so my bet was the time scale it takes to develop an implantable product is gonna be a hard one because the other technologies will come and compete with it will be less invasive, mm. will come along at a faster clip than this development process. It'll be better to be a non-invasive for the short term. And then secondarily is when you write to the brain, you of course can stimulate. So if you're implanted in the brain, you can stimulate a region of the brain, but there's 100 billion neurons. You're not gonna stimulate all 100 billion neurons. Whereas you, you and I right now are stimulating each other's neurons through audiovisual inputs. So if you have a device on the head, you have the full human sensory system for the inputs. So you can write to the brain through all those modalities. And that's what, that's what I wanted to try to trade off is, wow. could you build a device that could be scaled across the globe, standardize the measurement of our brains, give every scientific discipline the ability to use this data to improve their disciplines, to improve the human condition. And then you can have all these modalities to write to the brain. So could you start a new era of human well-being in our minds with this basic measurement of the brain? And that was the bet we've made. And so we succeeded in the first part of the technology build. We now have to show our first market demonstration so the investors say we're good. You know, like we've, I've poured heart and soul. I've put over, uh, I've put almost $60 million into this company, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and taking it through COVID and the financial crisis. Like it's just been, it's been unbelievably hard to build. <laughs> it's a pretty big uh, challenge you know, and, that you and, have before you. And I'd say like the, which makes these results on Blueprint that much more impressive. If you look at the amount of stress that I felt in, building this startup mm. with these difficulties uh, and still achieve these results. Uh, I mean, like, I'm not- You'd be 19 if you weren't a founder. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not just chilling at home all day. Like, you know, like building a startup is an absolute full contact sport. I mean, it oh, is yes. brutal. And then this company is just brutal. And so, um, yeah, um, it's been fun to do both. Colonel's uh, been extraordinarily taxing. You know, it's, it's tough. I bet. Brother, what a joy this has been. Where can people follow you? Twitter. I mostly hang out and have conversation there. Brian underscore Johnson. Awesome. I'll be coming at you hot and fast on Twitter, man. This was so fun. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Peace.